back home in the village of Clare from my few months in Liverpool at the close of 1971. I was even more awash in my life than before, though at least I had my growing collection of notebooks safely hidden away in my bedroom. What to do? My father, Tom, noticed a vacancy for a trainee reporter on the local paper. By this time I had an O-level in English and had to prove I was worthy of the post by writing a feature-length article. Luckily, our new doctor, Dr Carter, let me interview him about his work as a young GP in the village. Eventually, the article was attached to my application and I was soon employed by the Haverhill Echo on a six-month contract. I was promised training, which I needed to get a grip of the job. Training in shorthand, how civic society works, interview techniques and journalistic styles of writing. But my first training was on the job, writing up wedding, funeral and sports reports. I took handwritten reports of these events and puffed them up. For example, if an opening batsman had scored 102 runs with four sixes, I began, Mark Bishop blasted his team to victory with an unbeaten century. The steeple bumpstead opener was undefeated, hammering four sixes over the heads of little Yeldum. Funerals and weddings were more pedestrian. Bride Alice Cropper wore an A-line satin dress, fringed with pink lace, and carried a bouquet of carnations. I waited for the training to commence, but there was no training ever. I was, however, quickly introduced to news-gathering. There were three elements to this in the pre-email age. Read over copy sent in from village correspondence, visit village contacts in person and each Friday go out and find the news. Friday's news gathering consisted of visiting markets, shops, libraries and pubs to literally find the news. Attending district and parish council meetings posed my biggest problem. I began with no understanding of proceedings whatsoever and I was given no instructions except to listen and take down as quickly as I could in longhand what transpired. Thus it was that I missed a big story, a big story for the Haverhill Echo. A district council was being taken to court for failing to meet an outstanding bill of a few pence. This had obviously been a small human error, but when it appeared as headline news in the rival Suffolk Free Press and the regional heavyweight, the East Anglian Daily Times, I was sorely reprimanded. Still, I struggled on. I bought a Honda 50 motorbike so that I could collect the news and tried to get to grips with the company's camera. As office junior, I got all the filler stories, such as carving out a terrier dog while waiting for the bus. Mr Ford of Shuddy Camps has put his skills to use while waiting at a bus stop for 20 years, cutting out a topery terrier dog from a nearby hedge with his penknife. 
actually, when sent to the location to take a photo of the cloth-capped sculptor, I couldn't make out the dog at all. But as the fog lifted and sun shone, there was the lumpy little rascal amid the thorns. Oh, is that it? I quizzed, as it was more hedgehound than canine, but I didn't want to offend. The best of my encounters on the paper were in reviewing village and school drama productions, and the very best of these was a farce written by and for Stanbourne players. The village's actual vicar was the thespian vicar who dutifully lost his trousers in the play, and when pretend rockers came on stage all dressed in black leather, a huge cheer went up from the audience. The local gang of rockers had lent their leathers for the show and were sat at the front laughing and joshing that they got their gang into the amdram. Surely now they would be accepted into the community. I also covered local bands and interviewed some interesting people. A Cambridge academic archaeologist, historian Al Morton, a union leader and the direct descendant of Josiah Wedgwood, together with the Groundhogs and Nigel Olson, who is Elton John's drummer. My first and only byline was for a women's wrestling match, which I utterly loathed. The main bout was between Naughty Nancy Nolan and Saucy Susie Parkins, and that about sums it up. It was a struggle for women to escape sexism in the early 1970s as it is now, and earning money in such a comedic profession as professional wrestling must have been tough indeed. My great rift with the Haverhill Echo, however, was in May... 1972, when I was instructed to write an upbeat article about Risbridge Hospital, a facility for the mentally ill and the disabled, an isolation unit for 240 people. They had redesigned the interior of this old workhouse and wanted to present a modern, caring face to the local community. I paid a visit. Yes, there were improvements but the inmates, the patients, were addressed as girls and boys, whatever their age, really patronising them. I encountered a tiny little woman, kept in a large pram. I think she was 60, with a very twisted little frame. Her illness, her crime, was that she had had a child out of wedlock, and that was it. Once inside the isolation of Risbridge, she had no family. While many seemed superficially at least content and relaxed in Risbridge home, I found out that this wasn't just a mental health facility, it also isolated those with Down syndrome. In a back workroom, many undertook tedious tasks, earning pennies from the very skilled assembly of electronic components. Who reaped the profits from this, I wonder? On my return to the office, I protested that I couldn't write an enthusiastic article, an article flowing with praise for such a horrible institution. With my ear bent, I crumbled and wrote such a feature. 
any writing skills I had withered immediately as I went against my own nature. My empathy grew with my anger and this was among those experiences which later shaped my socialism. Frustrated in the job and increasingly doubtful that journalism per se was a career for me, my six months moved towards a catastrophe. Without a new story once a week, I was going to be dead me anyway. Pressured day in, day out for the news, I decided to do a sort of final Drown My Sorrows Friday. Haverhill is in the southwest corner of Suffolk, close to Cambridgeshire and Essex borders. In those days, the pubs were opened at 10am in Cambridgeshire and remained open in Essex until 3pm. Then such a drunken roundabout journey could be finished off in Haverhill, where it was market day and the pubs there were open all day. <laughs> I was going to get legless, if not hospital bound. However, Wobbly on my bike, it was in Birdbrook, Essex, that a new story finally came to me. I saw a group of thatched terraced cottages with standpipes in their gardens. I lingered. A frail elderly woman, who turned out to be in her 80s, fetched water from the standpipe in her garden. I asked what the water was for. Everything, she replied. Baths, washing and washing up. No mod cons here, dear. I hurried back to the chief reporter and told him of my newsworthy find. Luckily, he thought the story was too big for me and took it up himself. The next Friday, the headline in the Haverhill Echo was 82-year-old widow has no mod cons, with a photo of the woman at a standpipe slap-bang in the middle. The following week, her landlord phoned, As a result of urgent improvements inside toilets, a bathroom, sinks and other plumbing, the cottages would no longer be offered for peppercorn rents, but at the private market rates. And the lady in question was to be evicted as the cottages were vacated for this essential work. This did me in. I hadn't got the skin for journalism, nor did I have the skills. There was no training and I was thankful to be shown the door at the end of my contract. The journalist I was brought in to replace later went on to work at The Sun. My lack of success, I'm eternally grateful to it.